When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. If you're on dating sites or apps and you're getting a whole lot of nothing, chances are you really need to work on your pictures. You don't have to be the best looking guy in the world to have amazing pictures that she'll find incredibly attractive that will make her swipe right. And I just wrote a guide on how to get those pictures. It's called Profile Pics That Will Make Her Swipe Right. And it's available on my website right now at kristenandchill.com. I've now made over hundreds of dudes' profiles, and I've seen the good, the bad, the ugly, even if he wasn't, and I've taken everything I've learned about what makes great profile pictures, and I've put them in this guide. The first 20 people to buy the guide get $5 off with promo code for you, F-O-R-Y-O-U. All you have to do is enter it at checkout, and you can go to kristenandchill.com forward slash products forward slash picture guide. That's kristenandchill.com forward slash products forward slash picture guide. It's worth all the carpal tunnel, I promise. Want to know the hidden meaning behind what women say and do? Then check out the Chictionary. It's the Wing Girl Methods manual that gives you a full rundown of all the things women say that confuse men written in dictionary format. Go get a copy of the Chictionary by going to winggirlmethod.com slash chick. That's winggirlmethod.com slash chick. Coming up on this week's episode of the Ask Women podcast, we have divorce expert, but actually not really a divorce expert, even though he knows a lot about divorcing, but he is an expert in getting back out there after divorce. And he's giving guidance on what apps to use, what things you need to do to prepare yourself for dating in the new world. And then he tells you his story about what he did to now be in a wonderful new relationship with the woman of his dreams. So keep listening. going to tell us all about how to get back into dating once you've divorced. So I want to hear the story about you and my friend. And I don't know if she's comfortable with me saying her name. You can if you feel that she's comfortable with it. But yeah, tell me how you started and how you knew you were ready to get back into dating and then what you did to get back into dating. And how Mm -hmm. long after? Again, how long afterwards? He's like, one day. (laughs) (laughs) Because I I know my friend went right on to those dating apps. Like that was what she did to distract herself. She like went right Right on to the dating apps. I almost think people do it as a coping mechanism. And I feel bad for the people in the dating world that aren't there as a coping mechanism and they're actually looking for someone. But I understand that that's like part of the process. But do you think it's unhealthy for someone to start dating immediately? I I would imagine it's a little. Yeah, I mean, I've read all kinds of things about 
what the appropriate time is to get back into it. And I've thought a lot about it. And in terms of my own experience, I mean, I waited I th- probably about five months, four months until I started getting in. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think you ask a really good question in terms of saying, well, is it unhealthy? I think it's important just to have clarity. Like if you're going back into dating, like you just want affection and sex or, you know, or is it like you're looking for a life partner? I think the difficulties come in when folks are just they're not exactly sure what they need for themselves or they're doing it because they don't want to be alone and they haven't done the work to discover what they really need. I think that's where problems come in. And and I caution people against doing that partly because we don't really want to hurt other people in the process because a lot of people are making themselves vulnerable in the dating process and you should be as clear as you can be about what it is you need, even at the cost of you know, sort of disappointing or someone or getting rejected because yeah. that's that's where it gets a little bit messy. If I was going through the divorce and um, my husband started dating like two weeks after, I'd go, okay, well, there's my answer. He wanted, like, he's really happy about this divorce. It almost seems like the sooner you date, the happier you are about the divorce. Obviously, that could be different, but that's how my my like self-deprecating brain would read it. Be like, yeah. oh no, he only waited two months. He really hated me. I was the worst. But maybe yeah. it's just his coping mechanism. Right. I think sometimes people also don't... Sometimes people rush and they haven't fully grieved. So they're just looking for, I don't know, like a, a dopamine experience. They just want some excitement. They just want to party and enjoy. So it may not be reflective of how ready they are. I mean, and that's the thing. It's such an individual journey. I, I read somewhere where it said, you should take one month for every year of your relationship. And I thought that formula was a little bit, it's just too canned and everybody's different. It just depends on who you are as well. And at the same time... And how much your last spouse sucked. Right, exactly. If you you were (laughs) dead inside at the end of your marriage and you just want to go out and live and maybe potentially meet somebody else that could be a good partner for you and you've been out of your marriage for longer then just announcing the divorce and you're ready, then you can get back into it right away, I think, or I would assume. It also just depends on who you are and how you figure things out. Because I also think that exploring other human beings is a really great way for you to learn again about what you like, what you want, what you're ready for. So I don't think shutting yourself off completely from other types of human interaction via dating is a negative thing. Again, it depends on who you are. Yeah. And I I actually agree with you. I think part of the discovery process is meeting other people. You know, these relationships can sometimes serve as mirrors to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we can learn in part what matters to us and what doesn't matter to us. But I think I think sitting with it and and unpacking it and really understanding your journey and being intentional will help you get to where you need to go. But like minding the grievance process for guys in particular, I think a lot of guys they they don't know what grieving is or they haven't they don't really give themselves time to heal a little bit what happens in relationships when we don't heal is we tend to like bleed on other people so in terms of my experience when i realized that i really i really wanted to relearn who i was i got married pretty i think i was pretty yeah. young when i got married i was in my 20s 26 you know i i was ready just to meet people and just to to relearn. I mean, it's a different game. Yeah. It's a completely yeah, must, different game. Well, I was in an eight-year relationship and that feeling 
builds. It's almost like, I don't know, a bag of chips when there's the bag's closed and there's all this extra air in there and the air just kind of, when you open it, you just kind of feel the air get out. It seems like that divorce, the moment you can just kind of open your bag of chips. It sounds so stupid. And just just let the fresh air in and just live again. It seems so refreshing. Or it was for me at the time too. Yeah, it's a great analogy. Yeah. Can I use that? Please, I'm crazy with the analogies. Yeah, my potato chip one is all yours. That's going to be his new logo, just like a, like a potato chip bag opening and like the air fizzling <laughs> out. But it is actually, because it, it is it's this, it's no this fresh start. To. And it's like, oh God, finally I can open this bag and I can relax and I can eat the chips that I haven't been eating for the past eight years. I, I understand completely. Yeah, if you have that mentality, like if you already, you're out of your relationship and you already feel like it's time to open the bag of chips, I think that's a sign. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. a, a lot yeah, of folks, you don't to, for for some Doritos, it's just yeah, you you know when you when you're gonna allow yourself to have those Doritos, they might make you feel shitty and good at the exact well, same I, time. I was reading a whole bunch of stats you know, on divorce, and it was saying that like most women initiate dis, uh, divorce, and most women are actually ready to divorce a year prior to the date that they announce it. So I think a lot of women go through their grieving process yeah. while they're still in the marriage. And I, that's at least what I'm getting from exactly. what I'm reading. I don't know if that's true. And I don't know if men are still singly fo- single focused on having their current marriage survive, that maybe their grieving process is, is different from women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's fascinating that regardless of who initiates what, I think there's so much momentum and gravity in favor of staying together, even if you're not married. If you have invested a lot in that relationship and that relationship is also a space for children and and there's a home and there's so much surrounding it that folks tend to want to stay together but you know who initiates it it's it's a fascinating thing i think the statistics are fascinating because they also there's a number out there about 50% or so marriages in the united states end in divorce i've never been able to find a statistic on how many like what percentage of married people are actually happy like three. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Two points. <laughs> that's what it sounds like from everybody percent. that I talk. Every, everybody's miserable. That's the truth. So people who are listening to this podcast are like, oh, I do is want to get married. Maybe don't. <laughs> it's, it's not happy. Like all, all of my friends yeah. are miserable. When we have these conversations, I it refreshes my point of view on yeah. being single because I'm single and I'm 36. And so with society and with your own standards, you can start to feel really bad about it. But then you know, I saw a tweet, someone said something like, I'm 33 and I haven't been married. So just statistically, I've already like not, I've already missed my first divorce or something like that. Like I, at least I'm not gonna be part of the divorce statistics. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's a way to flip the switch and kind of see it from another point of view. For those who do want to try to get into another relationship or marriage, what for you, what were the steps did you get back online? Did you try to meet people in person? So like after you've done this stuff to refine yourself, you, figure out who you are, figure out what your intention was moving forward, even if it wasn't a clear intention of I want a new relationship, what did you do to get back out there? And I'll add in there too as well. Sorry I, to cut in, but I want to ask as well about finding out how the dating process works yeah. now. Because when you got married, obviously it's much different. So did you feel overwhelmed? How did you figure out how to use you know, like dating the internet just started or, when you, you know, got married. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, being let out yeah. of <laughs> right. It's like, 
Yeah, and that's what I was saying earlier about the game has completely changed. I mean, I'll give you an illuminating, hopefully an illuminating story. I was in Vegas at the Caesars Palace pool, and I'd been there before. I think that's and one I of the grieving steps too, right, for men, is that they have to go to Vegas. Yeah, yeah. it almost sounds like that's where the divorcee right. pool would be. Like, that's where all the divorcees yeah. go. Holy cow, and I have a story about that too. <laughs> but, I, you know, I'm sitting at the pool, and I'm not seeing anybody hit on anybody. Like before, back in the day, you were at the pool, like yeah. you approach. It's Marty. Uh, I, yeah. You know, that's the old school way to do yeah. business. Um, there was none of that happening. Everybody was on their phone. And I found that fascinating. And it was clear to me, it was clear to me that you cannot just kind of date in a traditional way. I mean, it's fine to approach, but there's an entire world out there of folks swiping and I had to become, I mean, Marnie, I wish I knew about your, I mean, I read your book at some point later in that process, but, you know, I didn't have you to, con- yeah. to consult with, obviously, and that's fine. I think you did um, fine. But you did well. I had to re- <laughs> relearn this stuff. Yeah. Well, I, I, I hit the gold, you know, got hit yeah. the jackpot because, uh, you know, my, I'm not going to say her name, but she's an amazing woman. But in terms of like how you get into it, really, it's a lot of trial and error. Or you have to consult with somebody who knows what they're doing. And for somebody who's been divorced after a long marriage like me, 14 plus years, like we don't have a community like that. And all the people that were around or why I was around were, you know, weren't in the game. So for me, it was a lot of trial and error and discovering and, and just learning the platforms of all those apps are so substantially different. Everyone has an angle. You know, Bumble gives the woman control and Tinder is the simple, easy, accessible one. But it was... I think at first I was just sort of like, okay, Tinder, because that just seems to be the easiest platform. But a lot of it was just actually relearning how to have conversations with women and not being afraid that it might come back to haunt me. You know, I mean, it's, it's, what about mentioning your divorce? Like, what did you, what did you learn in your communication? Like when you first started, did you talk a different way to women than you did when you, you know, eventually were more successful online? I think. I, if it was just a casual conversation, I would never discuss the divorce necessarily up front. I, that was too much, too heavy uh, in the beginning. If, if I'm not answering your question, let me know. But in my profile, I mentioned that I was yeah, I was newly single. I think that's the phrase. I I hated. I hate the stigma of divorce. I, I think I find it. Yeah, it, I because, because what is divorce in the end? It's it's really a big breakup with legal implications. Yeah. So if I hadn't been married. You know, does that to what extent would I disclose the details? I felt like I didn't. I didn't want that to be an identifying characteristic. Uh, it would be maybe it just means you might owe money to somebody for the rest of your life. Like, that's what <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, other right? I mean, some of my income goes somewhere else. <laughs> Therefore, I'm not, and there may be desirable. offspring. Right? Like, <laughs> I mean, that's something that you definitely, when you're in the dating process, you reveal. And uh, you know, I wasn't hiding that I have a child. I don't, in my case, right. because I was fortunate in the circumstances I had, it was no support involved. So there wasn't a financial obligation. Anybody. It was very clean. We were very amicable. Our, you know, no, no disputes, no issues. But yeah, you're right. I mean, I'm not suggesting folks lie. But for me, if I was having a conversation approaching a woman or whatever, I wasn't going to say, hi, I'm Simon and I'm divorced. I would have been inclined to just, just 
say hello and flirt and get to know. Hi, I'm Simon. I have a huge penis and (laughs) and a child. (laughs) That's what he's saying. That's right, exactly. (laughs) So you know, it's 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 a partly a trial and error thing because what you you can't you can't be is inauthentic either. You know, so you have right. to find what your authentic self is, and then you have to read Marty's book. Right. Well, I think I think part of I think part of that is also using timing to reveal your authenticity. Yes. Whereas, if you you know, like walk up to somebody and just say, "Hey, I'm Simon. I'm divorced, and I'm super dead inside," that's going to scare <laughs> someone away. But if you you can give off that same information just slower and much more uh, delicately and uh, still be authentic. So I think it's just, you can be authentic, but it's all about time rather than, mm-hmm. you know, the, the dishonesty necessary. You know, it's not dishonest necessarily. Yeah, I mean, it's, a, you know, I, I really it's, agree. it's like a disclosure process. And I think right. that that disclosure process, it should be respected too, because that's how you develop vulnerability, or you show vulnerability and you connect with someone. Because... I'm a 42-year-old man. Like, I have not met someone in their 40s who hasn't gone through one, you know, who's not sort of, for lack of a better phrase, damaged a little bit. Damaged, yeah. And, you know, do we reveal our vulnerabilities right up front? No, it scares the... I don't know if I could say the S word. It scares yeah, people. Yeah, the shit out of people, yeah. yeah. And so, of course, just as common sense. It's just like how, you know, with friendships develop. As you get to know someone, then you become more and more vulnerable and your secrets come out and then everything is out there. If you've got a partner that you you trust and you love and you want to know their secrets and you yeah, share and yours. Yeah, that's just a part of you. Yeah, right. well, so, okay, I'll, I'm just going to tell a story for a second. So I I have been trying to learn how to meditate lately, or at least to try to slow down and calm my anxiety. I have a crazy story about going to an anxiety support group. It was not a successful trial for me. But anyway, I went to this meditation class and it was really nice. And they had 40 people in the room and it was a guided meditation. Basically, I just got to relax and like zone out for a bit, which I enjoyed. And this woman told this story and I'm not going to say it correctly, but she was talking about this guy who had been hired to build a wall full of bricks. And he was given a hundred bricks to build this magnificent wall. And he worked so hard. And then by the time the wall was done, he took a step back and he goes, oh shit, those two bricks are slightly off. And he's like, oh God, I'm so disappointed in myself. He couldn't stop fixating on those two horrible bricks that were out of alignment. And so the person who had hired him to build the wall came to check on the wall and see how it was. And the person looked at the wall and goes, oh my God. The wall is amazing. It's everything I ever wanted. And I couldn't have dreamed of anything better. And the guy goes to him, oh my God, I'm so sorry. You must not be able to see those two bricks that are slightly out of alignment. And the guy goes, of course I can see those two bricks. But you know what I'm looking at? The 98 other bricks that are perfectly laid out. And I thought that that was a really cool story because the the instructor started talking about how so many of us focus on these two crooked bricks that really just kind of gives something character, but they think that that's all that their wall is built of, these two crooked that, bricks. That analogy is nothing compared to my chip analogy, just for the record. No, your chip is way better <laughs> and way faster. <laughs> Thank you. But does it help you meditate? That's the real question. The point was that you have to go into conversation when you're dating and focus on the other 98 bricks because you're not just the divorced person. You're not just dead inside, hopefully. There are so many other things about you that are fantastic and awesome. And that's what you lead with first, the 98 other bricks. And then, yeah, you're like, you know what? 
I've had X, Y, and Z happen to me. I'm divorced. I date my wife I, or whatever it is. That's when you can sprinkle those things in. And that's what gives you character. But focusing on the other wonderful things about you are at least my advice on how to, to go with your conversation when starting out dating. So I wanted to ask you a question. How long did you date for before you met my friend? And like, how many apps did you try? Or how many, like, how, like, did you do a lot of in-person too? Yeah. Uh, so I tried three apps, I think. I tried Bumble, Tinder, and JSwipe. And as a Jewish kid, I really had my heart on meeting, you know, connecting with a Jewish woman. I didn't think it was right. possible, likely, especially because I live in Seattle. I grew up in LA. But I, I to answer your question, I was dating for, I'd say, see, September to... April, so about roughly six months, six six to eight months on and off. Okay. And there was one person that I was seeing for a more steady period of time during that process. But, you know, it was certainly a massive period of exploration. And I I went with three apps. And frankly, I found dating, there was a business side to dating. Like there was a lot of slogging through first dates. Right. Because it's hard to tell when you're, you match with someone and you're having a conversation. It's really hard to tell whether there's a connection. And then you meet up and you can tell like the first 60 seconds, like this is, this is not going to, this is not going to fly. Really? Oh yeah. For me. Would you tell people to get on the phone first? Like, is that something as a buffer zone so that you don't waste so much time? That's a, one strategy. I tried that a few times and I just, I, I felt like this was going to be a human face-to-face project and I needed to, to do that in person. And I also out of fairness to them, like let's, let's give it a shot. But what I found, I actually would make those first dates fairly short. And I, I was criticized by a lot of my later people, people I've met either, you know, like friends, for example, who I, who are single are like, wow, why'd you do that? I'm like, well, cause I wanted a reason to like, I wanted an escape hatch. Like I didn't want yeah. to necessarily give myself, it's going to be a drink. And I don't want to commit to dinner if, you know, this is going to be... If she sucks. sucks I, I, committed, like, I committed to dinner on two first dates and I highly regret both of them. Mm. And I've been on a lot of first dates. So I always just do drinks because it's the same. It's like we time is of the essence, especially, you know, for someone in their 30s who isn't, you know, necessarily having... Uh, their eggs frozen or something like that. You know, time is money in that sense. So I will not go to dinner um, for first dates anymore. Yeah. And yeah. So I don't think you're alone there. What about coffee? Yeah. So women are open to it as coffee, well. Coffee, I don't prefer because there's no ambiance with coffee. Chris is an alcoholic yeah, too. Yeah. I want to so. get shit faced. <laughs> I want to be the best version of me. And that involves alcohol. But the other problem with the coffee date is that there's no ambiance. There's no darker lighting. It doesn't really lend to feeling romantic necessarily. Mm -hmm. So it's, I think a coffee date is more of a, let's literally just see each other in daylight for a few seconds, see if we can stomach each other. And then if we can, cool, we'll have a, you know, an actual date. And if we can't, then peace out. Um, And I think that that's just, if someone says, do you want to get coffee? To me, it's just like, oh, they're so hesitant about me. And uh, it doesn't, it doesn't read well, but 
at the same time, I understand why people do do coffee. So I just don't think it's the best environment necessarily. What happens if the prospective date is sober, needs to, can't drink, doesn't drink? I call him a pussy and I say, take that shot of tequila, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to be in me later, you better have a drink. You know, I've had, that, I have had that happen before. And to be honest with you, it is like a bummer. It's a bummer. I understand the sober thing, but it's like you lose. It's like you lose a friend that's, to, that's people's to sobriety. Like, right, so... For but, me, I probably would like if someone was like, let's go for a hike. Like I would I would not be opposed to that at all. See, and I would hate Nor that would be because to a coffee. Right. See, oh, and, and someone it. like me, you just have to feel out who you're dealing with and who you're trying to ask out. Because for me, I look horrific when I'm hiking. I get out of breath. I don't want them to see me with pit stains before they've seen me like looking attractive. You know, so I right. rule out those types of things. I like a very safe environment of a nice bar or a nice restaurant at the bar with a drink or two, nice music. Boom, bam, perfect. Anything beyond that is like anxiety provoking. It's kind of, you don't, you know, it's unknown. It just doesn't lend to necessarily the most confidence if that's not your thing. So if, you know, if you're not a hiker, you'll go, oh, right. I'd... But then that's also where but if Simon's that is your guidance, thing, right? Yeah, Sidon's guidance from the beginning half of the show comes in, which you were disconnected, so probably didn't hear this, but he was talking about figuring out who you are, what you like, join those groups, be, become a part of it. And like, you get to reinvent yourself. So for, for me, I would say if I were to go back out there, I would use it as an excuse to like do all the fun things mm-hmm. that I've been secretly wanting to do for so long. I would go to a rage room. <laughs> I would go play mini golf with somebody. And like I, like, I would do all of those things to get out and do this. So my, my point is, is that, you know, the guidance that we give, it's not like, okay, go to a bar. That's the only thing that you can do with a girl. There's like a million things you can do. But what I'm hearing from Simon and from like each of us actually, is that you also have to decide who you are and then you're picking another partner and hopefully this time you're picking better. So you want somebody who wants to do the same things as you, not somebody who you're like, oh, okay, I'm sober, but I'll go to a bar to meet you. Definitely, but I feel like that's a second date activity. Like I would totally go mini golfing or hiking or maybe maybe not hiking, but on the second date, I do something fun. The first date is to feel out whether or not I even want to do something fun with this person because say I decide to go hiking, it's like, why are you hate hiking? And now I'm on a hike with someone I definitely hate. And now I'm stuck and he, you know, could murder me. So that's true. That's absolutely I just always feel true. like the second day you could totally do something fun. But the first one. That's yeah. true. I agree with you. Yeah. Coffee or a drink. Keep it short. Yeah. Okay. So, so Simon, you have like these short, short dates. Yeah. And then how long after these short dates did you find somebody that you actually were like, oh, okay, I want to date, I want to date this person again. Or how long till you felt like you were back in the groove and, and had a handle on dating? Yeah. You know, for me, the limits test was... It was connection. So I have these, you know, first date, there's a bookend, you know, a time by which I'm like, hey, I've got a commitment I've got to go to. And and unfortunately for me, first dates were where a lot of things ended because I I just I was a little bit more selective and I kind of had an idea what I wanted. And uh, in terms of connection, that was hard for me to find. In the case of finding my current partner, I found her on an app. And we, I didn't actually, I sort of deviated from what I would normally do because I was not in the same city as her. And a lot of their, uh, you know, the beginning was similar, which is texting. And then it was a phone call. And then it was like, I really need to see you. Like the draw and the magnetism was so strong. And, and I was so much, I was so intrigued and curious about her and her energy that I, I, I needed to get on a plane and fly to LA 
And that's what I did. And and really the rest just it just all came out naturally. We're immediate strong connection. She has a lot of the qualities that I was looking for. And I've just got really, really lucky. And it's just an example of like, you know, you can hone your dating process and make it really particular and perfect for you, but you have to leave room for deviations and serendipity because things can still happen. And uh, so for me, that that where I currently am with my partner, as amazing as she is, it wasn't necessarily in line with how I normally dated. Okay. Interesting. Is that but, because she lived somewhere else that wasn't in line or what, or what, what was the out of line? We never, we never had like a drink on a first date at the bar where I had bookends, where I was saying, right, I've got 45 and minutes. stayed with her for a weekend. Right, right, right. Right. And, you know, of course, I, I, I you know, I bought a, I, I, it was a, it was a risk. I, of course it was a risk on her end, but it was a risk on my end because I bought a, I bought a refundable ticket, you know, because I'm like, she may, I may show up and she may be like, oh man, you're, you're ugly. Like you're not anything like you were <laughs> in the picture. So yeah, I mean, but that's the thing. That's the exciting thing about dating, right? It's it's that unknown. You kind of have to embrace the fact that stuff may not happen exactly as intended. And there, I, I can't say enough how you know the fear. The other side of the fear is excitement, and it's really it was really I really enjoyed the process, even though it was a lot of work, and even though it didn't it wasn't always productive. But which you, I mean, it didn't necessarily right, result it didn't in a second or third out day. the way you wanted it to, but it was like a learning experience. Would mm-hmm. you say that it's not kind of like a good thing for people who are maybe through their own grieving process, whether it's one day or three months? Would you say to just mm-hmm. like dive in full throttle? Because I know that a lot of people either hold back because they feel like they're out of touch or out of the game, so they dabble in it. Would you say to just dive in completely? I mean, that's, that's a, I suppose that's a strategy. I mean, I'm a big believer that like there's two emotions. There are two emotional states. There's fear and then there's love. If you're diving in because you're scared shitless to be alone for a minute, then I, I really caution folks to, to not do it. Like you have to know who you are and what you want. But if you're just really wanting to open that bag of chips and and you're you're so freaking excited to finally actually breathe oxygen because you were in a stifling relationship and you just want to get out there because you're you have love for the world and you want to be in it go for it i mean there are some lessons you're going to learn like there's no you can read a million books but experience is really the best teacher because those lessons will stick with you forever and so for a lot of people i mean if you feel like you want to like you're you're pulled and motivated for good reasons to be out there and meet people. And we the other thing is like we have inflated expectations of dating, right? Like, oh, I'm gonna meet this person and we're gonna sleep together. No, it's like just have fun. You're just gonna go out and have a drink. If you keep your expectations right. low, yeah, drill it back. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you know there there was good people out there. Yeah, yeah that's the whole thing. It's, it's it, every opportunity is an opportunity for something else. Like, so what I went backpacking and I just remember that this was my biggest lesson from when I went backpacking when I was 18, 19 years old, we had a horrible experience on the plane ride over. But then when we would go to hostels, we would tell people about our horrible experience and then we would like gain friends from it. So we like me and the person that I went backpacking with, we quickly realized that everybody bad experience is a great story. 
and a great opportunity to to share with other people. So, you know, even if it's not, if, if it's a dud of a date, it's like a story that you can tell afterwards. Oh, I went on this one date and this happened, blah, blah. It's something else to to share with other people. It's not necessarily a reflection on you. Also, a lot of a lot of good things come out of mistakes or, you know, things that didn't go well. So maybe you don't have a great date, but on your way home, you happen to see a guy or a girl that looked like your type and you stopped and said, hey, you know, you wouldn't have seen that person yeah, unless you, you had gone out. on that bad date. Yeah. You got out. So I wanted to ask one final question before we wrap this up. I wanted to ask about resources that were the most beneficial for you. Because I know that, yes, there's great resources for learning about divorce. I don't want to hear about those ones. I want to hear about the resources that you had or used to learn how to get back into dating again. Things that helped you hone your skills after 14 years. And you know, you don't have to you know, boost my ego to say you read my book. I know you read my book and you liked my book, but what, what are some other resources that you use that were really beneficial for you? For me, it, it was a lot of, of sort of revisiting and understanding what a good, healthy relationship looks like and what it takes. And that means like, and, and researching and reading about what makes a relationship successful. So I read a lot of stuff from Esther Perel, uh, who's, she's a psychotherapist who talks a lot about the balance between eroticism and safety, the need for love, and to balance that with the need for like a lack of predictability and excitement. So I read her stuff. I read John Gottman's stuff, The Relationship Cure. And that's kind of, I, I really wanted to focus on what works as opposed to, you know, what didn't work and what, what the problems were in my marriage in particular. So that helped me understand because the Gottman material has, it's very valuable because it also talks about maintaining friendships and bids for connection and what those look like and how to manage those and not letting your ego get in the way. So I would direct folks to that. And also my therapist was very helpful in the process. That's awesome. That's Yeah. I, I love those resources actually. I, so um, we had this woman Tara on our podcast a while back who we discussed a tune. So that's a John got, is it Gottman or Godman? Two T's. Gottman, yeah. Right? Gottman. Gottman. Okay. So that's his uh, method that he uses for communication in, in couples. And so we're actually creating a program based on a tune. But I think that that's such a strong skill set that can, like, just learning how to talk to other people, but talk to other women and hear their emotions. And there's a, a way that he explains how to do it where you still have your confidence and strength and masculinity at the same time. So I, I think that's a great source. Uh, resource as well. Absolutely. So thanks for, for sharing that. But thank you so much for coming onto this podcast. I know it was your first one, but when you know I went over to my friend's house and you were telling me about what you were doing, I was like, oh my God, you have to come on this show. So I just I just think I, I knew you were going to be a great guest. So this was really helpful for me. And I know for the guys listening who are struggling with this or are maybe in the middle process of getting back out there. So I think this, this is a great show, but can you tell people how to find out more about your company and what you do, because I'm very sure that you will be expanding soon. Yes, and thank you both of you for the opportunity to be on here. You can find me at www.catalyticcoaching.co and I would love to hear from you. It's, it's, I've really enjoyed my journey and, and it's been such a discovery process, but discovering through other people and being able to help them has, has become a real joy for me. So I appreciate and welcome any, any, you know, any attempts to reach out and say hello. Awesome. Amazing. And Kristen, do you want to tell people about your new website? Yes. 
uh, kristenandchill.com. You guys can get new profiles for your uh, for your shitty ones so they won't be shitty anymore and uh, banter help as well. And I just, yeah, no, that's it. So yeah, just go to kristenandchill.com and hit me up there and I will be at your service. Wonderful. And I wanted to tell people about a couple of upcoming products I have that are coming out, I don't know when, probably the next month or two months, but I have a visualization and mental rehearsal program. I've talked about that before on the podcast because we had this great guest on our show who talked to us about the importance of mental rehearsals so that you don't have to actually practice in person and face rejection. You can mentally rehearse. So I teamed up with NLP expert uh, Mark Singh, and we are creating a visualization program and mental rehearsal program, which is going to be amazing and awesome and really helpful for those with um, leadership concerns and uh, approach anxiety concerns. So it's coming out soon. And then I am doing that program with Tara, on it's not relationships, but it's it's about trust and communication with women. Again, it's based on John Gottman's Attune, but it's got you know our own female perspectives and flavor added into it. And I'll tell people more about that when those actually do come out. But in the meantime, you can continue listening to the Ask Women podcast. Uh, you can go to wingrowmethod.com and get a ton of at-home systems that will help you with your specific needs with women. New episodes of the Ask Women podcast come out every. Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific. They're also up on YouTube now. So go to youtube.com slash Marnie Kinris. And uh, there's a whole section just for Ask Women podcasts that people have been going and listening and watching. Yeah, you guys are awesome. We'll see you next week. <laughs>